If you're a veteran or military spouse of an early stage startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneurial experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of the bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Lives branding team. Today on The Transition, I conducted a question and answer session with VR alumni and Marine Corps veteran Rob Arndt, founder of Buffer Springs, a training and consulting firm that builds customized military recruitment, retention, and employee engagement programs for companies that are serious about their veteran talent initiatives. Rob's still in the early days of launching his firm, and we walked through how to navigate that early go-to-market phase when there's still a lot of uncertainty and an immense amount of pressure to get profitable as soon as possible, which I'm sure many of you listening can relate to. Before you hear from Rob and I, be sure to subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Rob, welcome to The Transition. What's going on, brother? Not too much, Mike. How you been? I'm doing great. First of all, I want you to know I appreciate you because Rob here, he uh, reads the emails I send out. He listens to all the podcasts. And as a fellow uh, Marine, fellow Bunker Labs uh, entrepreneur, it's uh, I'm really pumped up to get you on this platform to talk through everything you've got going on with Buffer Springs and also answer some questions that I think will be really valuable uh, for our audience as we kind of use your company as a, as a case study. Yeah, no, and really appreciate you having me on. Like you said, I've been a long-time listener, first time, long time, that whole, you know, cliche thing, but it's great to be on the podcast. Honored to be here today, and uh, hopefully uh, hopefully I can add as much value as the podcast has added to me in my journey so far in starting a business. Well, you know what I've found from uh, the people that respond to us is that how much they really appreciate entrepreneurs coming on and sharing their stories and getting vulnerable because, as you know, it is hard out there. And I want to congratulate you. You know, you just went from idea to invoice, uh, took a few months, but we made it happen. Yeah. Um, and I know how um, I know that feeling of relief that comes with that. You know, I remember when I was sitting here at my podcast studio, thinking like, "Man, I suck at life." <laughs> right? Then I got an email and got hired for a podcast gig, and my hands went up in the air. I was like, "We're yeah. off to the races, baby!" But it's important because for me, that invoice makes it real. You know, because you could spend so much time in the ideation phase thinking that you had this great idea, but I'm a real big proponent of that market-based feedback by willing customers who are willing to pay us for our products or services. Yeah, and and that's been kind of the discovery process is I've heard it on this podcast and other, you know, books and things that I've consumed of just, hey, you're not going to make it. You're not going to have that flash in the pan on social media that you're going to go viral or whatever. But I thought I might be different to that. So I spent some time in the beginning stages of doing this and sharing some things on social media. I was getting the likes. I was getting the engagement. I was getting the love, but the dollars weren't coming. It was just people liking what they're 
virtual thumbs and not with their physical wallets at the end of the day. So I had to step back from doing that content creation, just trying to get buzz and followers to, hey, where are my perfect clients? How can I make impact and how can I make changes here? And then we'll look at the social stuff later. But, you know, that's that's something I learned uh, the hard way early on, but but pivoted quickly. Yeah. And it's not to say content doesn't need to play a role. Right. Because, again, thought leadership, generating demand, um, using it as a competitive advantage, right? A lot of people to get to know you and how you think, et cetera. But again, when we're first starting out, right, we just need clients, you know? Right. So it's a balance, right? Like, oh, do I need to spend all this time posting on social or do I need to go to events? Do I need to talk to people and get in front of my perfect customer? We're going to dive a little bit more into that. But first, Rob, I would love for you to start out by introducing yourself uh, to our audience and let them know about Buffer Springs. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Rob Arndt. I am the CEO and founder of Buffer Springs. We are a training and consulting firm that specializes in helping smart organizations build effective and sustainable military recruitment, engagement, and retention programs within their organizations. So I myself am a 14-year uh, Marine Corps veteran um, on the enlisted side. When I transitioned, uh, first, well, first and foremost, I did supply and logistics when I came in. Did a lap move over to nuclear biological chemical. And then when I was in Iraq on my way back, I got flagged for recruiting duty. There's probably still claw marks on the ground at Camp Lejeune for when they pulled me out of there. And, um, you know, ironically ended up finding out my calling. I went on recruiting, you know, was reluctant of it in, in the beginning and then had that first closed sale with a, you know, young man that we were in the library at the high school said, you know what, the hell with it, Sarge, this is great where do I sign? And once I had that first close, it was like, you know, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So spent eight years on re, um, Marine recruiting and retention, transitioned out and have spent the past decade helping smart organizations connect to the military talent pool, but doing it under some different brands over the years before um, deciding to go out there and hang my own shingle and start doing this on my own uh, at the beginning of this year. So now we're here. So as an entrepreneur that's in the hustle, right? Yeah. You launched Buffer Springs, what, seven months ago? Yeah, uh, we came out of the gate swinging January 1st. We established everything back last August, but that was only because I had previous clients reaching out to me, asking me to do a keynote or a training evolution or do something with them. I said, you know what, I need a way to build this. But then, you know, at the beginning of this year, I said, you know what, I kind of owe it to myself to go out there and make this an actual reality and own my own company. I've been looking at things, reading things, have always been entrepreneurial and been in sales myself, but I've been building it for somebody else's dream. I figure I owe it to myself to do this now that I have the ba baseline knowledge and the uh, I'm in a place in life where I could do that. So as an early stage founder, I would love for you to take off your armor and uh, share with our listeners something you're struggling with either personally or professionally. Yeah, so I, I mean, professionally, it, it's, it's really getting those clients right out of the gate and getting those invoices signed, like you said. I mean, that was nerve wracking for me because I've been having dozens, maybe even hundreds of conversations with companies, with businesses, with people that are hiring vets, with veterans themselves that had a turbulent transition or part of that underemployment stack. But having all these conversations, like there's a ton of, ton of time invested into it, but it wasn't necessarily turning out to dollars. So what I had to do and realize very early on is the traditional marketing methods and mass blasts and things like that that may have worked when I was with a bigger organization. I don't need that here. It was more of I needed five or six great clients that were going to make the most sense to me and really need to niche down and, and, and hone in on that specific target audience. So I had to change my strategy of who I was talking with probably five different times here. But 
it was a matter of not letting my ego get in the way of looking at it systematically and saying, this is what's happening. These are the results. They're not the desired results that I want. So having to pivot and not be afraid to scrap what you've done, no matter how much work has gone into it or how much planning you may need to pivot. And it's something that's easy for us as vets. We're used to having to adapt, improvise and overcome, but actually applying that to my own business and my own day to day, you know, has been you know, fruitful for me to just readjust and get back on track when things aren't necessarily working out. So from the time you changed your strategy and said, okay, I need to do more one-on-one -on -one direct reach out. I need to quit posting on social, all that stuff. What was the time to go from idea to invoice? I would say it took a good part of maybe about two and a half, three months at this point. But what I did differently is I went to where my target audience existed rather than trying to pull them in to me. What I did is pushed out content that was relevant to them. So a sweet spot for me is federal contractors. Federal contractors not only want to hire veterans, they have to hire veterans and they have mandates from the Department of Labor and from OFCCP. So what I did is I knew that there were audits going on. I knew that that would resonate with that audience. So I tried to fig figure out what that audience listens to, where they get their information, what podcasts are on, what conferences they go to or what webinars or what vendors they tune into and go there where I'm coming out as a new business. And one of the things you said on one of your previous podcasts was to kind of borrow credibility or borrow reputation from somebody else who is more established as I'm still getting going. So that's what I did is actually just kind of got with a bigger partner or somebody who's been in the space long enough, sponsored some content or put some content out with them that resonated with that audience. And then organically, my right customer just reached out to me. There was a need. I had that dog whistle blowing there, as you say, and you know it just ended up resonating with the right people. And that's the kind of clientele that I want from word of mouth or from something I said, not necessarily a marketing doc or something boilerplate that's out there. I'm taking a mental note here. I'm actually not mental. I'm actually writing down about pain point because what you just said, federal contractors by mandate have to hire and retain veteran employees. And if they're not meeting that criteria in the face of an audit, audit, right? That's like, yo, we're in trouble. Yeah. And so kudos to you for nailing in and, and focusing in on that. And I'm excited to see where you're headed with that next. Now, before we keep going, I got to take off my armor. So there's a book called The Slight Edge, and I forgot the author's name. But one of the things that I, I struggle with at times is, I think it's Jeff Olson or something like that. That's his name. But consistency, you know, like, and I don't know if it's sometimes because I get, um, I don't want to say overwhelmed. Like when I'm on, I'm on. So like I'm really focused business. But like maybe I need to take more breaks and pace myself. Um, because the whole thing about the slight edge is that um, sometimes we take our foot off the gas, right? We keep we quit doing the stuff that made us successful. But again, I talked about this on a previous podcast. Yo, man, entrepreneurship is a hustle. And some days, especially coming off like a long weekend or something, I, if I don't feel like the energy, you know, I'm like, I don't want to get after it today. But maybe that's okay. And maybe I need to read that as like, hey, maybe that's like Mike, your rest day. Like, I just need to go crack open the laptop, start doing some writing or doing some reading instead of like, and, and you're starting to see this a lot more amongst the business community, the startup community about these four day, four week, is it four day work days or work, work weeks? Yeah, the, 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 the four hour work week, the, you know, the Tim Ferriss stuff and everything else. And it, yeah. that's something that I never really bought into because that wasn't why I'm doing this. Like anybody who sets out to do a business, like there are businesses like that. You have your elf businesses, your easy, lucrative and fun that you can do is almost like a side hustle that pays off. But that's not what this was for me at all. Like this was a passion project. This is part of my 
you know, I'm invested in this heart and soul where I am a veteran. I'm trying to give back and, and make it so it's easier for my people in our community to connect with meaningful employer, employment, as well as helping smart companies understand the, the reasons for bringing on this talent pool. It's not about patriotism. It's not about charity. Like as vets, we don't want your hugs and your help. Like we want to continue to do great things, you know, even after we hang up the uniform. So that none of that was ever in the, the cards for me. This was always just something that it was, you know, I'm trying to make change and long lasting change. Yeah, no, I hear you. But let me tell you, give me six years, you know, because when you're in day in and day out on the yeah. same kind of venture or whatever, you just you're in a different space, you know, because I was the same way when I started Ironbound Boxing. I was in the gym. I was holding mitts. I was doing it all. Now, like I've been doing it for so long, like I've been box coaching boxing like damn near like 15 years now. I need like a different kind of pace. And I guess what I was getting at with the slight edge of we can be holding ourselves back if we don't pace ourselves correctly, right? So it's like you get all this traction, boom, then you rest and you stop doing the stuff that was getting you the traction and you do the sprint again, right? Instead of the stuff I've been talking about on the podcast of like, hey, that consistent small incremental improvement over time. And one of the things I did really well, though, was I scaled myself out of client delivery so the machine is moving, right, whether I am on or not, essentially, Right. So that's one thing that is good for entrepreneurs is getting it to the point where everything doesn't always rely on you. You know, so like if you do go take that rest day or whatever, you're still able to deliver value to clients, generate new revenue, generate new leads and stuff, et cetera. So basically, I'm just sharing is I think I get a lot further if I pace myself better. And part of what I preach about podcasts is because you start talking about this stuff and it forces you to think through it as you're talking about it. And I think what I'm really talking about is energy management, too. So it's like, like I need to do a better job of reading my energy and also having a plan for what to do when my energy is feeling off, right? So like, how am I going to rest? How am I going to recover, uh, et cetera? Yeah, and, and I think that's huge of avoiding burnout and knowing what your strong suits are and what things that you can potentially delegate. And I've had to learn that, and that's another you know area where I can take my armor off is I've become a student of this game to learn how to establish an LLC and do these legal things or these accounting things on the background where that's not my, you know, my forte. That's not what I'm good at. So those things, although I'm learning things, they are draining to me. So that's something that I need to learn how to do better with myself. And one of my biggest weaknesses is my it's it's difficult for me to delegate, especially in the beginning stages of this company. And this is my baby that I'm shaping to be what I want it to be like. I have my hands in too many things, but there are things that I could potentially delegate so that way I'm not burning out my own energy sources and my own motivation at the end of the day because you know there's only so much you have. Not to mention, I have life going on as well. I'm raising a business. I'm also raising a family. I'm married and I have three kids like that I'm trying to support through this. So there's a lot riding on it and that in itself is sometimes something you reflect on in the mirror that can be draining or empowering depending on the day. Yeah, man, I'm excited to talk more about that because I know a lot of our listeners uh, do have families and they're, you know, there's real considerations when you're launching a new venture, having a family, when there's time where there talks of recession and layoffs and all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, um, it's going to be cool to talk about it and give our listeners some agency there because, again, there's a certain type of entrepreneur that they like to put on the cover of, you know, Inc. Magazine and Fast Company. But, you know, the veteran entrepreneur is a little bit different. And shout out to our military spouses, too, because, you know, when I say veteran entrepreneurs, I'm also including our uh, military spouses out there. So before we get into all that, I got to acknowledge what brought us here today, which is Bunker Labs, a national network of veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs 
dedicated to helping our community start and grow their own businesses. Rob, how'd you get connected with Bunker Labs? I ended up just hearing about it word of mouth and seeing posts on LinkedIn and whatnot. So um, I applied back in last November and got accepted into the 22 Alpha cohort to start up January 2022. So I came aboard the uh, Boston cohort up here, was working with Chris Irving, Chris Irving and uh, JJ Rower, who were both amazing and helping to shape and really had great resources, ways to plug into things, had answers for questions. And it was great to see that ecosystem and that support mechanism being there because as veterans, we speak our own language. You know, vets can connect with other vets. Doesn't matter what branch we served in, what era we served in, we can strike up a conversation with our own people anywhere in the world. Same thing with entrepreneurs though, because we go through some different experiences that the normal, you know, nine to fivers are not going to go through. And some of the things that we see as business owners, you know, you can only tell those stories or share in those kind of, you know, the good, bad, and ugly of that with other entrepreneurs. So when those two cultures come together of veteran entrepreneurs and being able to be vulnerable and just holding accountable where we have access to the resources, we have the curriculum and whatnot. But sometimes the most helpful thing was just logging on each week with my other eight who were in my cohort saying, hey, man, I got my ass whooped this week in marketing, or I'm trying to do this. And this is a, a mountain that I'm trying to climb. Any any tips, any tricks or anything on here of just having those people and that support mechanism to talk through this with, because in the in the public eye or on LinkedIn or when you're talking with clients, like you always have to have your shit together. You can't tell them that you're still building some of this plane that you're trying to sell them at the end of the day, but you can do that with your own people. And sometimes that's the best way to find out a solution to that problem is just putting it out there and actually being able to you know, have somebody else dissect it. They understand your viewpoint and has maybe been through those scenarios before. So after my cohort ended, I am actually staying on as an alumni captain and want to stay in this community and keep contributing and keep, you know, as you say, lifting as we climb. Like, I, I think that's what this is all about. Love it, man. So let's get into it, right? I was telling Rob, we're going to do a Q&A on here because he listens to the podcast. He consumes a lot of content and he's also at a stage in his entrepreneurial journey that I think is going to benefit a lot of you guys that are still on that march you know, from idea to invoice. And so, Rob, just right off the bat, what's a question that you think our audience can benefit from? And let's talk, we can talk specifically about Buffer Springs. Let's talk about Buffer Springs. What are you thinking through? What's some of the, let's talk about pain points. The biggest pain points and struggles is like where to prioritize. Like you can actually just live in a vortex. There's, there's always something else to do. I don't think as small business owners or even just business owners in general, you're ever going to be able to have all task and all clean slate. But a lot of the issue that I've had and had to learn some of this the hard way throughout my, my journey so far is like what to prioritize. What should I be focusing on now or what what things are the secondary priorities and whatnot? It, it helped me focus on that. You did the episode back with uh, Michelle Warner talking about the five stages of small business and the first one just being validation. And I've worked with VC back tech startups and everything else in my past life. But I've seen some of the issues looking at that in retrospect that, hey, they got a capital injection, then they went and built a team and you have developers, you have your salespeople, but you don't necessarily have something to sell yet or you don't have that validation. So that was immensely helpful of just seeing that step one. But once that validation is there, this is the point where I'm at now. Should I be focusing on marketing? Should I be enhancing my brand? Should I be bringing on team members at this, at this juncture? Like that's the tough part for me is like once you have those you have your priority, you have it set, but once you do it, like what's what should be the secondary sequence to that is the part that I'm at now and having to kind of prioritize. Well, one of the things that a lot of us don't realize is 
as entrepreneurs, all right, we, we got to fill a bunch of different hats, right? People say this, but until you're in the hot seat like you are, you don't really feel that heat, right? So at a high level, we got to be visionaries. We got to set the strategy. But at the small level, like you're sending out invoices, you're doing all this other stuff, okay? The early stage you're in, right, is about revenue generation, right? So you've already got these new clients that you're bringing on, all right? But you don't want to be in that feast or famine mode, you know? And so what ends up happening for small agency owners, we get one client, we raise our hands, woo! Then we start jumping in client delivery, right? And guess what we don't do? We don't go out and get us ourselves new clients, right? And so now we might be focused on this one client or this other client, two clients, and then guess what? You lose one of those clients or that contract ends, now what do you got to do? You got to go out there and you got to hunt another client, right? So all that momentum you built up doing your initial outreach and all that other stuff, right? It falls by the wayside, right? Versus what you want to do is see now we want to start thinking strategically and we want to start setting the processes to where we're always having those sales and marketing conversations, okay? So sales is, marketing is sales at scale, right? Especially for services. So again, right, like, what we say by that, it's like prepping the battlefield, you know? So when you jump on with a warm prospect, you know, you want that prospect to have a better understanding of who you are, what your value is. You know, you kind of want them to be sold by the time they jump on the call with you. And that's what marketing uh, really does, okay? But early on, we should be focusing on revenue generation and consistent revenue generation. Because as you're starting to get some more margin, that predictable revenue, then you can start bringing on team members to do the stuff that's not in your zone of genius. And your zone of genius is going to be a new client acquisition, right? And building out these programs, all right? So all that little tedious task and stuff that you're doing, right? You can hire an admin for that, right? But we got to be super disciplined about what we're focused on, which is why I go back to, you know, um, I, what's her name? Uh, the episode I did on uh, OKRs, right? Radical Focus with Christina Walkie, all right? So when I um, joined Alliance Pride, my coaching group, I didn't know anything about quarters, right? Like you always hear people talking about quarters and everything, but I, I had never worked in sales. I worked at a private school in Newark. I served in the Marine Corps before that. So I was never really thinking in quarters, maybe semesters at most, right? But then all of a sudden you're an entrepreneur and <laughs> your year is broken down in these quarters, right? So three months, Okay. Well, what Waki talks about in that book is radical focus and setting your objectives and key results for the quarter, right, and for the year, all right? So when I started to learn how to set a strategic plan, one of the things I did was, you know, I set my lofty goal for the year, and then I start setting my goals for the quarter, and I overdid it because I would have, like, three OKRs for each quarter. It wasn't until I got more experience uh, swinging, Right. That I realized, like, hey, as a small team, I need like one or two objectives per quarter. Really, I should be focusing on like one. I can squeeze in that second one. So I say that to say you need to set your objective for the quarter. Right. So if it's like, all right, Q1, we want to get one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in revenue, et cetera. OK, boom. That's the goal. That's the objective. Key results would be, you know, um, I sat down with 10 da da da, or I did this, I did that. And then that's what you focus on, right? So you set the strategic plan and then you focus on it um, and be disciplined with some accountability. Instead of trying to do all these different things, you say, okay, this is what we're gonna do for the quarter, which is I need to get like three to five 
new clients, right? Um, and that would allow you a key result in that case would be, or I could bring on an admin to help start fulfilling out some of this stuff. Yeah, and, and that and that's something that you know, even looking back of like that I pulled directly back from the Marine Corps because as Marines, like we're given missions. Emissions are non-negotiable. Like come hell or high water, that mission has to happen. We're not always given the people or the resources, the budget or whatever that we need to do that. And it's the same thing with business where if you set that overarching goal or that mission that needs to happen, you know, it, it comes hell or high water and you figure out how to make that happen, whether with what you have or go out and build it, buy it, or just reconfigure your mission. But I think that's huge and something that resonates well with military people specifically. And even in my time in sales and as a sales leader, like when I have military reps, like they just get that, like missions have to happen. You have, you have your, you know, your BHAGs, your OKRs, your KPIs and goals that are lofty and you can miss them. But if you set missions and make it, you know, make or break for yourself, that's when things actually happen and come to fruition. And that's what a lot of veterans struggle with is because we have a mission in the military then you get out and you work in corporate America. Maybe you're not really having alignment around the mission. And then you're crazy like us and jump out the airplane with no parachute and stand up your business. Now you have to set the mission for yourself and your team. And you have to execute that mission every single day. So the first thing I'll ask you is, have you set out, have you written out your objectives like for the quarter? Like, have you put it on paper and being like, all right, this quarter we're focused on X and these are going to be the results that we're tracking. Yeah, I mean, we're we're at that point now. So we have, at first they started off pretty, almost unattainable. Like I think we set up too many goals in the beginning, but it, we didn't have enough, we didn't have the resources, we didn't know what we, we know now. Um, now when we're setting them, it's based off of historical data. It's knowing what we did last year, it's knowing what we did quarters before, it's having my industry knowledge of when I know that specific industries or specific buyer personas will buy. Like educators have a different budget season than federal contractors who are on a fiscal year, who are different than just regular consumer businesses or whatever that are out there when they have budget, budget allocated or when, when it's a good time to talk to them because timing is everything in this business. So we've started doing that a lot more now. And now that we have the paying clients, like the pain for us is gone. Now it's main, it's maintaining it, it's evolving the business, it's growing. But that first stage validation started setting all these lofty goals and everything else. But then I just took a step back and said, you know what, you just need to sell. Just go sell, just go talk to clients, just have contact. And then everything else will fall in line. Like you can't move anything without having clients on the other end of it. Now, I'm going to push back, but I want us to have a discussion around this mm -hmm. about data. Okay, so the thing is, and this data can sometimes hold a lot of entrepreneurs back because you're physically looking backwards when you talk about data. When you start a new business, the reality of it is you don't know what you don't know and you don't have any data to truly base your decisions off of. So, again, I've talked about this before is every business has its own playbook. Okay, your playbook for Buffer Springs is going to look a lot different than someone else's playbook. Right. Yeah, because, absolutely. again, you're coming from Boston. You're a Marine. You know, you've got your own tactical advantages and everything. You have your own way of doing things. Right. Versus me, if I was to try to compete in your space, it would look completely different. So the first thing is we're building this new playbook from scratch. All right. Now, um, Roger L. Martin, who wrote a book called Play to Win, Playing to Win, How Strategy Really Works. And he has a new book out there about thinking says when you're doing strategy or you're doing a startup, right? You're literally creating the future for yourself. So the future for Buffer Springs does not exist yet. 
So we don't even have any true data to go off of um, until we start getting out there, getting clients and everything. And so I say that, say, is sometimes people spend so much time trying to look at past data instead of focusing on creating the future for themselves, which is what we're talking about is getting clients, right? Uh, creating your your engagement area, right? Your field of play, that category, doing all these things that are future focused, right? By while being grounded in the present instead of just looking at the past. So I would even challenge you to say, okay, I just got these two clients, really good contracts, but give yourself more space to validate your business model and your perfect customer, right? So how your business model looks for your first two clients might look a lot different once you get 10. You get what I'm saying? And then get 15. And then you say, okay, at this stage, now I got it hook, line, and sinker. And I've talked about this multiple times with Ironbound Media. I thought my perfect customer were incubators and accelerators, okay? Then once I start getting out in the market, start getting a lot more veteran-owned businesses, then the light bulb went off and I was able to make that pivot. But even still early on, I was like, I think when I said I'm going to validate my business model, the first phase was isn't enough income to replace my current income I was making teaching corporate boxing classes. So that was like phase one. And then phase two was certain revenue goals, et cetera, hitting six figures and yada, yada, yada. Right. Yeah. And, and I agree with you. It has to be focused on the future. It has to be focused on something that you can attain and, and breaking it down quarterly that way gives it in bite sized bits because trying to take a bite out of the entire year elephant can be overwhelming and things can go up and down and your pivots, your, like you said, your business is going to evolve. It's going to change your ideal customer profile or client profile may change as well in that evolution. So setting up long-term goals, maybe great for the future state or what you want the company to be to look at that but you know driving day-to-day -day revenue i mean quarterly even i'm doing monthly breakdowns here of how many contacts that i should be having or how much now i have the luxury of having a sales background so i've always lived in that world i've always had a mission letter i've always had a quota i've always known that if i need to if i'm down on that month it's because i didn't make enough phone calls or i didn't reach enough people so that's always been ingrained in my dna but it's now getting it down where i have more riding on it where that paycheck's not there anymore. That you know, salary is not coming in anymore. Those health benefits aren't just happening themselves. So there's more riding on it. But to be honest, I I feel like I'm working harder than I've ever worked. But I'm leaving my office more empowered and more energized because of the work that I'm doing and what I'm contributing to and what I'm building for our military connected community as well as myself instead of somebody else's agenda or you know, lying in the pockets of some investor somewhere. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think for me, I remember that phase when I felt like I was working really hard, like hustling, but I had no revenue to show for it. And I had no team to show for it. So I want to yeah. unpack that, right? Like, what would it take for you to work um, smarter instead of being, instead of harder? Yeah, I mean, I, I asked myself that question this morning. I need to generate enough revenue to bring on great people onto the team. I don't want people doing fractional things or outsourcing my you know, my virtual executive assistant or whatever to, you know, offshore somewhere, but actually building and bringing it, having the, the capital here to bring in owners and people to develop the different rungs or the different spokes within this business to what I want them to be. That's the hard part for me right now, but that's also something that's fueling me and energizing me is like, I need to create the basis of this. I need to set this solid foundation. So this business grows to be something beautiful for a lot of people, not just myself. So one of the easiest ways to solve that 
is why I'm such a big proponent of perfect customer, right? So again, we launched, we developed our perfect customer thesis, and it's a human being with a job title and a budget that we can get on the phone and actually talk to, not just a company, right? But then you start working and you you feel like you had this perfect customer, but you haven't tasted this other one yet. You know what I mean? So one customer, one big contract or whatever can make up the work it would take to fill these four other ones, right? And so now you start to reverse engineer the process and say, hey, snap, maybe working smarter is leveling up my perfect customer. And instead of closing a contract at 20000 you close a contract at 100000 Now, all of a sudden, you have that cash. Now you're able to start bringing on team members, and it's a different ball game. And in my case, that was one of the things that happened where I was hustling. I mean, I used to teach boxing classes, y'all, for like $100 a session, $250 a session. I'd be running around New York City and stuff, et cetera. Then I had a client hire me for $1,000 a session every week. Right. And then you just start to do the math. Right. Like, yo, that's insane. Like the amount of money I was making just doing this one class once a week compared to, you know, the eight classes a week or whatever. You know, I had to do grunt math there. Right. A little hundred dollar classes, some two hundred fifty dollar classes to make up what I was getting on this one client. And they bought gear and equipment, which I was able to upsell them up front. And so all of a sudden it was a whole different ball game. So I think for early stage founders, I think that revenue piece is so important and that alignment with your perfect customer because all customers aren't equal. If there's a customer that's got you running around, you know, is a pain in the ass, et cetera, we might need to cut strings, right? Versus someone that's like giving us the autonomy and the authority. They really appreciate our work. It's like, oh, I need more of these. But still at the phase you're in, I think it's also important to recognize like as you start to go through this process with these clients, you're going to learn your own systems and processes. And there's a guy, Jack Butcher, that talks about build once, uh, build once, sell twice or something. You know, so you, like you built the system, the process, deliver this great value to the client, and then you sell it twice, and then you sell it twice, and you repeat. So I think you're in a good phase of learning because you want to make sure you deliver value to your clients that you're promising. But at the same time, it's like, okay, we've gotten good at getting these two clients. Now we need to improve and get our others. And I'm telling y'all, I've been there. You will have this hustle to catch clients, and then you get clients. All of a sudden, you cut off that faucet. And what we got to do is we got to make it happen concurrently. Yeah, absolutely. That bucket drains. If you turn off that spigot and stop putting more leads into that and more top end of the funnel, it's all going to drain out. And those clients may leave. Something may happen. Your point of contact you know, gets hit by that infamous Marine Corps 1630 bus, and now you're starting from scratch. That was a tough part where, where I'm actually proud looking back on it, where I had the discipline to know what clients I wanted to work with and which ones that I didn't. So, you know, in our mission itself, military veterans are a, you know, a sought after population. And sometimes it's not for the right reasons. There are predatory organizations that are, that are out there. There are for-profit schools trying to tap into people's GI bills and things like that. But, you know, to give them a certificate, that's not even worth the paper it's printed on at the end. So some of those I was approached by at in the beginning stages. And this is when I'm still bootstrapping, still trying to make things happen, where I almost took a step back and said, you know what? It's money. They're not an ideal client or they don't align with our vision, but I'll take the money. But I had read something, I think it was the, um, um, it was one of the Mike McCallowitz books. I think it was Profit First, 
where he was talking about his landscape or was looking at his roof and then saying like, well, hey, I, I know I do your landscaping. You pay me to do this, but you know, I could fix your roof for you. But then and he said, fine, I'll go ahead. I'll, I'll use the same guy. I trust him. He does a good job on my lawn. He may do a good job on my roof. But then that guy had to go out there and buy roofing supplies and ladders and hammers and hire a team to do stuff and watch YouTube videos on how to do a roof. And it wasn't in his forte or it wasn't within his wheelhouse. Like I didn't want to do that for somebody that I didn't necessarily align with, align with the client anyway and be pulled in different directions or to be taken outside of my vision or what our ideal client fit would be. So it was hard that we were, you know, I felt like I was turning away more business than I was taking on because they did not fit. And I'm glad that I did it where I didn't take the easy money that wouldn't have been easy money at the end of the day. It would have just derailed me from what I'm actually trying to build in the premise of the business in the first place. So that's tough out of the gate too, but you know, kind of really narrowing down that ICP and who you want to work with is important and sticking to that and staying true to yourself. Absolutely. What other questions you got? I keep coming back to the juncture right now. I I'm self-funded. I'm bootstrapping this. I liquidated my own 401k life savings and everything else to actually make this happen. So there is a ton riding on this and that's nerve wracking in itself. You know, that everything I've saved up, everything I've worked for is now riding on this business. I'm confident in my own abilities, but I'm always teased by, Hey, should I go out and do one of these SBA loans or a micro loan? Or should I start looking at capital in in injection from a VC or somebody else? You know, I don't want to be steered or, you know, as I'm still building out the, the business, the money is attractive to me, but I get this from a lot of other fellow entrepreneurs. Like when is the right time to take on funding? Is it not right at all? In any cases, there's just so much money being thrown out around there and social media and everything else and pitch contests. Like how much of that is a distraction and you live around different circles of entrepreneurs and have, you know, taken on businesses yourself, how much of that is a distraction or how much of it could potentially help with bootstrapping entrepreneurs to ease some of that stress on the back end side? I think that there has been this sense that there's this like cheat code around entrepreneurship that if you just go out there and raise money, it's like so much easier. But again, that's a whole separate focus, right? Um, right. And typically, right, when you're raising money, it's because you're either raising capital to build a product, right? So sometimes you can launch that minimum viable product and then raise capital to take it to the next level, et cetera, or you're raising capital to grow, okay? But the reality of it is you have to recognize, do I have a venture-backable startup or not? Um, and so that's the first thing. But here's what I will say in my experience in the bunker. I think you can de-risk your venture sooner rather than later by focusing on customer acquisition out the gate, because again, businesses fail primarily for two reasons. Number one, uh, no market need, which we're validating by getting paying clients. And number two, they run out of cash, which we're gonna prevent because we're getting premium clients that can pay us what we need, right? So again, you think about the hustle to go out there and try to raise capital, try to do all this other stuff versus focusing on 10 perfect customers in your network that you have a potential relationship with that can pay you a premium for your products or services, you get them on the phone and then they become a client and you invoice them up front 50%, right? And let's say it's a 100K client, that's $50,000 right off the bat, influx capital um, in your business. And so, but to get there to focus on that, that's a different focus than the VC route, which is why I know that pain you're in in the early stages, I've been there, trust me, but there's so much relief when you nail your sales process. You know what I'm saying? Because when you nail your sales process and you're confident enough to invoice people up front, right, you are going to have good, healthy cash flow. 
right? You're going to de-risk your business. And I just remember running around doing pitch competitions, even for my corporate boxing business. Then my mentor set me down. She's like, why are you pitching? Just go out and get clients. And once I shifted that focus, I kind of haven't looked back. So you might get different advice from someone who has, like, gone the VC route, et cetera. But me, I think I'm a bootstrapper first and foremost. One, just because I don't like asking people for permission to launch a venture. Um, exactly. Yep. So I just always think that way. But now that validation phase, I keep telling y'all, it's so important. Even my book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur, I was able to crowdfund the book. Thanks to me and you out there tuning into the show. Appreciate y'all supporting it. But again, it let me know that there was a need for the content that I was writing and that there people were hungry for it. So whatever you can do to keep that internal locus of control, you know, where you you have the stake in the outcome, you control it without solely relying on other people all the time. I think lead with that first. And then if you find yourself in a friction point where like, uh, you know, then we got to ask ourselves real questions of number one, is there truly a market for the space that we're operating in? And then I also want you to separate yourself, uh, Rob, CEO of Buffer Springs as Rob the Entrepreneur. And Rob the Entrepreneur is always looking for market opportunities that you have a tactical advantage in. And if it's not Buffer Springs, you're able to leverage your knowledge, expertise, and what you've already built into potentially something else. Yeah, great answer. And, and that's where my you know, personal path has taken me, but I get that question a lot in Bunker Labs, you know, in my cohorts there with other entrepreneurs reaching out. So it's always, you know, that's the path that I took, but one to, you know, pick your brain on that too, with the amount of, uh, you know, saturation you have within these kind of circles. So great, great answer. And that just validates the path that I took. So appreciate that too. One thing I'm always trying to emphasize to people is there are a lot of pretenders in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And a lot of y'all tuning in, I'm not saying you're a pretender, but you don't know any better, right? So, and I'm actually pushing back on something you said earlier where you were like, you know, pretend like you got it all dialed in, you got all the answers, put your game face on. But again, your perfect customer knows you're not Coca-Cola, right? And if you try to show up and compete like Coca-Cola as a one-man show, right, you're setting yourself up for failure. And so as entrepreneurs, what we got to always do is give ourselves a tactical advantage, you know, and someone might want that more personal approach to business, right? They want to talk to a real human being. A lot of your um, clients, right, especially as you start dealing uh, founder to founder, CEO to CEO, they actually want a thought partner, not a vendor. And a thought partner is a different kind of conversation that they can have with someone versus, oh, you're just another vendor. I'm kind of tossing money to or stuff, et cetera. But if you don't show up as I don't want to say vulnerable because vulnerable is getting kind of tacky these days. Everyone just kind of doing crying memes and stuff on LinkedIn. But I'm just meant like, listen, over uh, under promising and over delivering, you know, like there are people out there who would very much rather work with Rob Arndt instead of some giant corporation on their veteran hiring because they need a little bit more personal touch. You can do things that some of these bigger organizations can't do, particularly in Boston. Like, you can go grab lunch with the CEO, and you can go do whiteboard sessions, and you can make yourself available right now. Like, a lot of these bigger firms and stuff, they can't do that. And so I want to challenge y'all out there to not be tactically authentic, but just be honest with your client about where you're at, where you're going, because you want them to invest in your potential, not where you are currently, right? And that's a different thing, right? You want, you want a customer to see what you're capable of and invest in that future. 
Yeah, and that's been the, the, the angle that I've taken as well, where in the past I've worked for other companies, so I had to kind of bite my tongue. I couldn't be 100% myself, but I've been helping companies and veterans connect for almost 22 years now. In my own style, I'm very no bullshit. I'm to the point. Even when I was trying to lock down my ICP, my ICP was no bullshit executives that want to unscrew their military program, trying to make it as succinct as possible. But if I can't be that way or can't be open or communicate the way that I should be communicating, then it, it's it's going to be a pain in the ass client for me in the first place because they're not going to understand my stance on things. I'm not going to understand their stance on things. And it's good to at least be able to be selective in who you're working with or be authentic or genuine in your delivery of that, not just be a robot, especially when you're making the rules yourself as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. Yeah. And ICP stands for initial customer persona. Is that what? Yeah. Ideal, ideal customer profile or ideal client profile. So it's a sales term, especially when you're prospecting or whatever, that you're calling the right people. You're not calling a recruiter when you should be talking to the director of talent acquisition, who has the budget and who is controlling all the recruiters on that pod. So it's really identifying who your target should be. Ammo is expensive. Try to make sure that you're hitting black at all times. And also your unique insights, right? The research and stuff that you're going to be able to do, that you're going to be able to provide, is especially on these initial clients, is going to give you so much insight. And you can start sharing that knowledge with people. Not necessarily the specific firm, but just what you're learning about, hey, what makes a good better in hiring, better in retaining kind of process and stuff, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it. It's just even my experience. And when you're talking earlier of like one, you know, one client was willing to pay you a thousand dollars for one boxing session. Another one was 125 bucks, but that's all about knowing your value. Like, even though I may be a newer company or Buffer Springs may be a newer company, that doesn't take away from the 22 years that I've had literally hundreds of thousands of conversations with veterans, as well as companies and people within companies about these processes, what's good, what's bad, what's ugly. And that was hard for me to swallow up front too, is where I'm trying to create sales, but I have to know my own value, what my billing rates are, or what these packages should cost, or what that in return on investment is going to be for a client at the end of the day. So even that in itself is really a discovery process for companies early on. And going back to what I was saying before, of when I was talking about like posers and pretenders, I just feel like so many of our community, because we see people's posting on LinkedIn, you assume they're successful, or you see their social media page, right? But you don't know what their cash flow looks like. You don't know how much revenue they've earned. And in my experience, right, this is just coming from my experience. A lot of the early stage founders I talked to have not validated their business model, right? Um, you have people out there that'll be in business for, I don't know, three, four, five years and still have no real revenue associated with it. Um, and so, and it's not to say that your whole worth is tied up in revenue, but I do think if you're spending a substantial amount of time, it's going to let us know whether or not the strength of the market that you're in, right, and the strength of your business. Like most of the time, all I say is fine. I'm like, get 10 customers, right? People think I'm like, I'm like the 10 customer guy now, but it just solves so much, right? Yeah. Like when you're tired and you don't know what to focus on, especially when you don't got any cash coming in the board, just get 10 customers. You're going to learn so much more and work your way up to 100. And... I just think that like it's not like the most prolific advice in the world, but I'm telling y'all, focus on getting 10 customers. It simplifies so much of that early stage journey. Yeah, and I agree with that. I mean, because you're learning every 
section of the business. You're validating your sales model. If they came to you through a marketing channel or content that you put out, you're validating what's working. You're having conversations with those clients. You're going through onboarding, even vendor onboarding, trying to get into Fortune 500 companies is a bigger pain in the ass than people realize that it is on the back end side. But you have all those spokes within that business through one interaction and you can really narrow down your process and refine your own company in that process. But until there's money involved in it, it it's a hobby. It's just something you're doing on the side and spending a lot of time doing that you're not generating revenue. It's not an actual business yet until you have those, you know, repeatable, scalable, even one client. Yeah, that's a great thing, but that could have been lightning in a bottle, could have been, you know, once you have 10, you're realizing that you're onto something, that there's starting to be a pattern here and that there is a market for this. One thing I want to talk about before we wrap up that I promise I would get to is you have a wife and you've got three kids. How are you maintaining your kind of mental health and self-talk, you know, while being an entrepreneur, having to be responsible for the family um, and all the uncertainty that comes with launching a new business? It's, it's really about compartmentalizing things. And, and I learned this early on at, as a Marine, you know, it's professional separation, you know, it, even mingling with your commanding officers or staff and CEOs and things like that. It's not that they don't want to hang out with you. It's that there's a layer of professional separation there. And I do the same thing with my business, with my family and everything around me where each one of those different components and compartments is extremely important to me as an individual, but I'm important to each component of those as well. So I have to make time for them. So I dedicate my nine to five hours or whatever towards the business. But when I leave my office, like it's dad time, it's husband time. And I make sure that that's quality time with that. So I can keep building on those relationships and really the pandemic really, you know, drip, drove this home for me where companies were doing furloughs and hiring freezes, just letting people go and the great resignation and all the stuff that we've seen there. But at the end of the day, when all the dust settles from those things, and I've been with three companies over the past five years before deciding to do this on my own, like they're all gone. Even the Marine Corps, like I look at the Marine Corps, like it was something I was proud of, something I belonged to. It was that like, you know, girlfriend that I always remember, but the Marine Corps doesn't care about me. It doesn't remember me on the back end side of it. But when the dust settles at the end of the day, whether there's a global pandemic and things going on, like your family and the people who are around you are going to be there for you. So you have to dedicate that time to them and make them a priority. The business is important, but at the end of the day, they're the ones who are going to be there. The business can be sold. You can put it to rest, but your family is, you know, it's everything. So you have to invest the time into it or else you're going to regret doing it later. That's great advice, man. I don't have kids myself, myself yet. But, you know, I do run the Ironbound Boxing Academy. And one of the things I definitely noticed is even on the days where I'm beat up as an entrepreneur, right, just slayed, right, I walk into the gym and them kids don't know, nor do they exactly. care, right? They're like, the gym is open, I'm boxing, coach is here, you know. And so even a lot of stuff can be in our heads, but as long as we're protecting home base, I think, you know, um, the kids sometimes are just happy, right? Sometimes we add all this extra pressure and stuff on ourselves, and I had to remind myself because I applied for this really big grant through uh, I've applied for a lot of grants that I haven't got. And it's devastating at times. Right. But then, you know, like I said, I get in the gym and I'm like, man, these kids don't even care. Like they would be happy whether we got that money in the bank account or not. Right. The right. key is like, do they have a safe place to come and train and develop their skills as amateur boxers and young men and women of uh, character? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and just having those things that you're contributing to, whether it's the growth of, you know, inner city youth or whether it's your own kids, like you're shaping those things. Like you're a part of something bigger than you and you have to embrace that. So yeah, it, it's, it's important. So as we close out here, I got two questions for you, Rob. Number one, what advice would you like to leave our early stage founders with as they continue on their own entrepreneurial journey? And number two, how, as a community, can we support and elevate your work at Buffer Springs? So first part of the question, the recommendations that I would give is it, it's okay to not have everything figured out. It's okay to be working through this day in, you know, one day at a time and taking small bites of that elephant. Like it is frustrating at times. It does feel kind of defeating. Some days you're having great days. Some days you're having absolute terrible days, whether you're in the office or building the business, but just don't lose faith. I mean, this is something that, you know, if you're passionate about it, if you're putting the right effort into it and you're putting it in everything, you know, the stuff may not pay off today, but if you continue to take small bites and continue to take steps forward, it's going to pay off in the long run. So just keep continuing to put leads into that bucket and things into the top end of the funnel that are going to condense and pay off over time. Just keep pushing forward and don't lose sight of what you set out to do this with in the first place. It's easy to do and easy to walk away from, but at the same time, it's also easy to keep moving forward and keep trying to create a better tomorrow for your business, your family, or wherever you're doing it. Um, ways to get a hold of me. Um, so obviously you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm in the Bunker Labs community as well. So if you're part of Bunker Labs and uh, part of the uh, community there, hit me up on there, or you can reach out to me. It's just rob at buffersprings.com or you can check us out at buffersprings.com. But if you're a company that's smart enough to hire military veterans, we highly encourage you to hire for character, train for specific skill, and just see what military veterans can do within your organization and move the needle forward as we did for this country and defending this country. So we'll leave it at that. Rob, it's been a pleasure having you on, man. I'll be sure to include a link to Buffer Springs um, in our show notes, y'all. If you come across a company that is having trouble um, hiring and retaining its veteran talent, push them to uh, Buffer Springs, particularly if they're in a the federal contracting uh, space. And we're excited to see um, what where you're headed with the company. Because who knows, you know, that's your perfect customer now, but in two to three years, you might be working with some of the tech giants. <laughs> but we'll see. Um, in the meantime, everyone, be sure to subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. Rob, while I have you on, is there a topic you'd like me to cover on the show? I would like to get more into category design. I personally am in a very loud category. I have 47,000 veteran service organizations, nonprofits and noise that is in my space. It's all red, white, and blue. That's why I decided to go purple with our logo and our branding, but would love to hear more on category design and like redefining yourself in, in quiet or in very crowded spaces. Cause that's what I'm doing. And a lot of other entrepreneurs that I'm working with in the veteran ecosystem seem to be in the same uphill battle. Roger that. Got to do an episode on category design. Make sure y'all head over to bunkerlabs.org. Sign up for the newsletter. Get plugged into the ecosystem. We have programs that'll take you from idea to invoice, incubate you, and position you alongside other founders and CEOs. Until next week, peace, love, and keep striving.